Hello and welcome to the Mighty Shakers podcast, a podcast by the fans for the fans, where everybody is welcome to listen, even Stuart Day. Today I'm joined by Armin and we have a special guest presenter for today, Mr John Newby. John, please can you tell us about your first memory of Berry FC? My first memory of Berry FC was a long time before I signed, actually. I think it was late 19, probably before you fellows were born, late 1980s, maybe 1990. So if Liverpool weren't playing at home, we lived we lived in Warrington and then we moved to Formby. And if Liverpool were playing at home, we went to Liverpool. If Liverpool weren't playing at home, then my dad would take me to another non another northwest uh, team. So we'd go to Wigan a lot, we'd go to Chester a lot, Wrexham. And my first game at Gig Lane was actually Berry versus Chester, and I, I can remember Berry winning two one. So that was my first memory of actually going to Gig Lane. How old were you then? I'd have been no older than ten. No older than 10, so I would never have thought, you know, when I was I was sat there watching that match. And I remember sitting in the main stand watching the game. I'd have never have thought, you know, 10, 12 years later that, it, you know, I'd, I'd be playing for Berry at Lane. So you came through the ranks at Liverpool. So were you at Liverpool at that point? Uh, or were you still playing in, like, your local junior leagues? Yeah, so I, I first went into Liverpool when I was nine. So, you know, it was the same... The same structure as, as as academies now in terms of, you know, each year you'd, you'd be asked to come back or you wouldn't be asked to come back. But yeah, very, very, very different steps from your, the luxuries you see at academies now. You know, we trained at, uh, twice a week maybe at, at Melwood. You know, it wasn't the um, the all singing, all dancing academies that you see now. It was it was pretty basic what we had, but that was, that was all we knew. And I just kept getting asked to go back year on, year out. And unfortunately, that you know coincided with with being offered YTS forms and professional contracts, and and then eventually made it into the first team squad. Yeah. So with being a Liverpool fan, what was that like for you? So I, I was doing a bit of reading earlier, and I noticed you. Am I right in thinking you played with Michael Owen and Jamie Carragher? So what what was that experience like as a Liverpool fan coming through the ranks and eventually playing for them? Obviously, as a as a as a supporter, you know, it's your dream, isn't it? The same as every every boy's got the dream. They want to play for the team that they support, you know, whether that's Liverpool, whether it's Berry, whether it's Halifax, whoever it may be. And I was no different. So, yeah, I just kept progressing. Was fortunate then in, you know, when I was 16, 17, uh, I played in the Youth Cup and Michael was a year younger, Cara was a year older, but we all kind of trained together. So, yeah, we ended up all together in the, in the FA Youth Cup team of 1996 which we went on to win that year you know to play obviously you know back then you you knew Michael was gonna hit the heights that he hit he was you know he was that good and he was that single-minded at scoring goals but you know to, to play alongside those players then you know you learned loads because they were quality players we had other really good players within that within that squad and yeah it was a it, you know it was obviously it was a great time but then to go on and and actually make you make me debut at Anfield and you know playing play playing front of the cop and yeah it's a, obviously a dream come true. Was there anybody else in that squad alongside you that went on to have a decent career? Um yeah David Thompson. So Tom went on and played he played about 50 odd games. They were in the top flight as well. So so they were the three that you know that really kicked on and obviously Michael and Cara every, everybody knows about Tomo a little less and the year young the or the year Michael's year as well was obviously with, with Stephen Gerrard who at that time was going through reason didn't play as much but you know Stephen was another one that you know from 14 15 you could tell was was going to be an exceptional player interesting I'm actually looking at the teams for that final and you were teammates with Gareth Roberts who played for Berry I think it was 2013 14 season left back. Yeah, Gaz was Gaz was left back. I didn't actually know that he'd uh, he'd played for Berry actually, and I, I I often you know look out for the lads that I played with and, and where they were playing. So I'm, I I didn't know that he played for Berry, but yeah, he was uh, 
certainly in the days I played with him, you know, he was a tough tackler, got up and down, but yeah, he was a good lad, guys. Yeah, no, yeah, I think by I the, I was gonna say, I think by the time he'd come to Berry, his legs had potentially gone a bit, so he possibly didn't get up and down as much. But yeah, I think you're right in thinking he he loved the tackle, definitely. Yeah, he, he flew he did, into yeah. a fair few down at gig. Yeah, I was on the receiving end of a few in training, I remember. I mean, you played up against real Ferdinand, Frank Lampard. It was a good standard, like the final. I won't, I won't lie to you. Yeah, uh, Ferdinand played centre half the first leg at Upton Park, and then in the final, and then he actually played centre mid and up front when we came back to Anfield because we were two 0 up from the first leg, and he pushed him forward a little bit. And I think Lampard scored at Anfield within the first fifty seconds to to put them back in the game. But yeah, there was some there was some good, some good players on show like in that yeah. final. So is that how it works? Was it two legs even in the final? Yeah, so back then, semi-finals and final were two legs in the Youth Cup. Uh, so we had Crystal Palace in the semi-finals. I think Clinton Morrison played for them off the top of my head. And then obviously we had West Ham home and away in the in the final. And we ended up winning 4-1, I think it was, on aggregate. So then you went on to make your first appearance for Liverpool. What was, what was that like? In ter- who, who was it you were up against when you... I mean, my debut, debut was in the League Cup against Hull. I think we won. I think we actually won the game four two. But there was another ex Berry player playing in the game who actually got sent off for Hull at Anfield. So you two, you two better be on the on the money here because you two, you two need to know the answer to this one. It was a clue then. It was a goalkeeper. He was a goalkeeper Paddy and he got Ke- sent off for Hull. Paddy Kenny. No, older than Paddy before Paddy's time. But he played quite. He played a lot of games. Berry and I've seen him at Gig Lane this season. Goalkeeper that played for Hull and Berry. I, I, I wouldn't know. Lee Bracey. Yeah, right. Lee before my time. Yeah, so Brace got Brace got sent off in the, I think it was in the first half at Anfield. And then I came on with about 20 minutes left. I set up a goal for, for Karl-Heinz Riedler, who you, you may or may not know. He used to be German international. So, yeah, you know, like I say, you know, it's dream come true stuff when you you've followed that club all over the country as a supporter and then all of a sudden you're playing for them. Like I say, whether that's Liverpool or Bury, it's uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's stuff of dreams, really. Yeah, absolutely. So then you went on to make a few loan moves and then eventually ended up coming on loan to Bury as well. How did yeah. that come about? What, what was um, the thought process with that? Well, it was an interesting one because earlier that season I'd been on loan at Sheffield United who were in the Championship. Obviously, Bury were League One at the time and I hadn't started many games at Sheffield United under Neil Warnock. I'd only started three or four games. So I knew that my next loan had to be the right one. And I remember getting a phone call off Andy Priest to say that they wanted to take me on loan and they were just trying to sort out finances to do it. Now, at the time, Berry were in a terrible run. They hadn't won in 14 games. And he said, listen, we need some pace up front. We need a bit of a spark. So it was the perfect one for me. It was a good fit because I'd been to Sheffield United and crew on loan, both in the championship, and I hadn't played one minute up front, I'd play every game, I'd played wide left or wide right, which I could do, but for Liverpool, I played up front, I didn't play wide. So when Priestley told me I was going to play up front, it was, you know, that that was all I needed to hear. Um, so I remember Gerard Houllier called me into his office on a Tuesday and he said, listen, Berry and Wrexham both want to take you on loan. They were both in League One at the time. And I remember the only words Phil Thompson said to me, yeah, he, Phil Thompson was sat at his desk and Tomo looked up and he said, both of them have got shite pitches. That was all. That was the only input that Tomo had. By the way, I found that out to be true very, very quickly because when I came to Berry, pitch was like a beach, and we played Wrexham about a month into me loan spill, and their pitch was like a beach. So, to be fair to him, he'd obviously done his research. Um, but yeah, that was on a Tuesday. So I told him I wanted to go to Berry because I'd already spoken to Andy Priest. So I can remember putting me putting me boots and my shin pads and my trainers into a bit into a bin bag and and uh, leaving Melwood that afternoon. Um, which was Liverpool's training ground. And I knew I knew deep down that I wouldn't be back. I knew this probably wasn't a loan spell, whether I was going to sign for Berry or sign somewhere else. I knew that was probably the last time I'd I'd play for Liverpool. So, it, so obviously it was a tough day, but that night Berry had a game. They were playing Chesterfield at home in, I think it's called the LDV back then. So I went to watch the game. Uh, so I met Priestley and Billy Air in the office before the game. They were both really good my type of people, very down to earth and, you know, knew the football. Met Terry Robinson, who was exactly the same, you know, for any of you who've met Terry, he was, you know, he's a a proper football person. So 
it was interesting meeting them, but after 24 minutes, Berry was 3-0 down. And I'm sat in the main stand with Terry and he's he's sat next to me and he, you know, I couldn't even repeat what he said to me in terms of, you know, you don't have, basically you haven't signed any forms. So if you want to go and get off and I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some excuse for you. But like I say, Berry were in a really poor run at the time. So 24 minutes in, the 3-0 down, you've got fans booing, you've got fans walking out, you've got fans leaving, leaning over the barrier, screaming at Terry to sack the manager. And I'm sat there thinking, what the hell have I, I let myself in for here? You know, what kind of what have I come to? So Wednesday was a day off. Everyone had a day off, came in on a Thursday. Lower gig was waterlogged, couldn't train there. So we ended up training at the the old, what was then the JJB Soccer Dome at, by the Trafford Centre. So I came in and I actually travelled down to training with what was called the Yorkshire Car School. So you had Paddy Kenny, Sam Collins, Chris Billy and Paul Reed. So I jumped in their car. So the 20-minute journey down, they gave me the do's and don'ts of the dressing room. They told me who was fighting for the cause in the dressing room and who didn't really give a toss in the dressing room. So that 20 minutes was a proper education because I learned loads from just from, from going on that journey to training with them. Trained really well that day. So I always felt it was important when I, I went on all my loan moves, you had to gain the trust of the players really, really quickly. And because I trained well on, on that first day, you know, I gained that trust quite quickly. So that was a massive thing for me. Next day, we trained at lower gig and we were playing Peterborough at home on the on the Saturday. Bagged a goal, didn't you, against Peterborough? Yeah, right? I should have scored, scored, scored three in the first 10 minutes. Um, I think that always eases things, doesn't it? Getting a goal on your debut, especially yeah, as a lone player, getting off to a good start. Yeah, it's the most important thing. It doesn't really matter how you play in the game, particularly as a striker. But if you can go and score goals in your first game, it, it, it takes a massive weight off your shoulders. So, like I say, I should have scored three in the first 10 minutes. Went around the keeper and and it got blocked on the line, hit the post, and then the keeper saved another one. But it was a funny game because Berry hadn't won for so long. But in the first 10 minutes, we had so many chances and we're so on top. that I'm thinking to myself, how, the, how has the team not won for that long? Because this isn't a team, to me, that looks like it's struggling. It wasn't a team that looked like it was low in confidence. You know, we, you had good players on the pitch, so it was a really interesting game. So I scored early in the early in the second half, and I, I always remember when I scored, the lad who tackled me. It was a, it was a really poor tackle. He would have been he would have been sent off in today's football. But I remember I hadn't scored a senior. That was my first senior goal for anyone. So because he he tackled me so hard, I didn't even see the ball going the goal because I was I was I was I was, I was you know face down on the pitch, whatever. But I always remember. Walking off the pitch, or Alan Raw came on to give me some treatment. I remember walking off the pitch towards the south stand, and it was only probably, I think it was about 53, 52 minutes into the game. And the whole of that stand started singing my name. On your debut, 50 minutes in, when the team has been struggling for so long, for you to have got the respect of the supporters so quickly, and obviously built up a rapport just from them seeing you play for 50 minutes, I just thought it was massive. And it kind of, you know, it put me at ease. It, it made me feel like, you know, I'd come to somewhere where the fans wanted me and were going to appreciate me. So, it, it as a start goes, it couldn't have gone any better other than missing the three chances that I missed in the first 10 minutes. And then I think you went on to score a few more, didn't you? A couple of last-minute winners against Wrexham and Millwall. Yeah, they, they, obviously the Millwall one, they were flying in the league at the time. They had some really good players. So yeah, to get a to get a last minute winner at Gig Lane again was you know that was that was brilliant. The Wrexham one was a little bit more interesting because I'd got a bit of stick during the game. I always did when I played against Wrexham. They had a man sent off in the game actually for for an elbow in me, elbow on me. But the the supporters obviously thought that I was I was faking it a little bit or whatever. So I got booed for the rest of the game. But as as I've scored. The momentum of me run has actually took me off the pitch and I've kind of put my hand to my ear because I was been getting booed all game. You know, young and daft as I was at the time, a 23-year-old, I think. So when we got back to the dressing room, the police were actually waiting because apparently I'd made a gesture at the Wrexham supporters. So so we, me and the manager had to do a police interview straight after the game on that one, after scoring the last-minute winner. So that was the interesting thing about that one. I suppose it's all worth it, though. Yeah, trust me, it's scoring a last-minute winner anywhere. <laughs> Away, especially away from home, is definitely worth it, yeah. So, yeah, I'd take that again all day. Something you said that was quite interesting was that the tackle against Peterborough that you think in Nowell's game they would have been sent off. So throughout your career and as you went on, did you see that change in the way referees 
manage the game. So the later on in your career, did you see that fouls that weren't being given at the start of your career were now red cards are given? Or um, I'll be honest with you, Armin. Probably not. No, the only reason, obviously, I finished playing. So I, I went into non-league and probably finished non-league 2014. So again, you're going back nearly yeah. 10 years when I finished in non-league. So I think it had probably changed in the league by 2014. But in non-league, it was still, you know, it was still, what, you know, what 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 we see now. Um, and I actually went, I went up to Scotland for a year or for six months in maybe in two thousand eight, something like that, two thousand nine. And you could have got away with GBH in the Scottish yeah. leagues. Trust me, it was, you know, it was absolute carnage at times in Scotland. It wasn't, it wasn't made for a for a, a skinny centre forward who never tackled in his life. Put it that way. So moving on to the summer after your loan stint. You signed for Berry permanently. Again, talk us through that. Did you have any other clubs coming in for you? Because I know you managed to score a few for Berry whilst on loan. So, did you have interest elsewhere, or was your mindset on coming back to Gig Lane? No, I was. I, I was. My, I actually signed towards the end of that season. So the deal actually went through towards the end of that season, whilst I was in the middle of the loan spell, or the loan spell was kind of coming to an end. And Liverpool were really good about it because. They let me go for quite a low fee because they, they put a sell-on clause in the in you know in my next move. And there was actually talk at the time of West Brom wanting me in the championship. But for me, I'd been in the championship and I'd been to Sheffield United, I'd been to Crew, and I hadn't really played. And I didn't want to go, you know, even if I'd have gone to West Brom, I could have gone to West Brom and it could, you know, everything could have gone great. But at the time, I wanted to play every week. So for me, I felt that the best move for me was to go to Bury somewhere where obviously I I had a relationship with the manager because he'd been great with me. Obviously, I had a rapport with the fans. I was playing with loads of confidence. And for me to then go somewhere else, I felt it could have been the wrong move for me. So the right move for me at the time was to was to go to Berry when I knew I was I was going to score goals and I knew I was going to progress. So I was hoping that that progression would be with Berry and that we would climb the, the, the league. Obviously, that, that didn't happen, but I couldn't have wished for... Certainly, my first spell at Berry, I couldn't have wished for a better two and a half years from a from a personal point of view. Yeah. So, uh, what was it like playing under Andy Priest in in your first spell? What was what was he like as a manager? For me, he was great. You know, I'm sure there are loads of players that played with him that have different opinions, and we all have different opinions of managers. But he knew how to get the best out of me. My relationship with Priest was a little bit different because how can we put it? Because I was, we were kind of mates. We became mates, but there were times probably where I spoke to Priestley like he was my mate, you know, where you're having an argument with your mate and you're having a go at him and he's having a go back at you. So some of our dressing room uh, discussions would have been quite heated at times. I can remember a couple, you know, when he felt I hadn't done well enough and I felt I had. There was a few a few uh, interesting conversations with him, but in terms of how he was with me, like I say, he knew how to get the best out of me, the way he played, the style of play that the the team at the time played got the best out of me so yeah I really enjoyed playing under him yeah who was your favorite strike partner at gig lane uh so you, you played with some decent some decent strikers at your spell but did yeah I had probably two with me I enjoyed playing alongside first one was Colin Cram which you fellows might not might not know but Crammy was Crammy was a, a very different player to me so he'd come short and play as you know what they call a number 10 these days and I'd, I'd run running behind and use my pace so we complimented complimented each other really well we were quite opposite off the pitch as well because I'm I'm fairly quiet whereas Crammy's Crammy's a bit of a lunatic to to put it mildly he's you know proper character but we we complimented each other so well off the pitch as well you know still now I speak to Crammy now good mates and the other one would have been Pavel Abbott so Pav was the season after Crammy and again Pav was you know really talented player Young player had bags of confidence, uh, backed himself. But yeah, I, lo- I loved playing with him, and we were obviously we got in the playoffs that season. We were successful, but for periods of that season, we lost Pav. He went back to Preston, so we lost him for about three or four months. Had we kept him, I think we'd have gone up automatically. So that was a, it was a big blow when you know mine and his partnership got split up because I think Crammy actually came back that season from he'd gone over to Holland to play for Fortuna Sittard, and Crammy came back. For a loan spell, but he, he was struggling with injuries and he wasn't the same player when he came back. So I think had we had Pav for you know a long period of time, I think we'd have actually gone up. You were captain that season as well. How would you summarise that year? Obviously, being the captain, would you say it was an enjoyable one or was it ultimately disappointing, the fact that 
we didn't end up getting that promotion. Yeah, yeah, it was frustrating. It was frustrating at the end of the year because we had times where we looked like we were going to kick on. We got we had times where we were in the top three and we looked like we'd have comfortably gone and got promotion. And then we'd lose to a team, you know, that was 17th, 18th, 19th in the table and slip out of the playoffs. And because it was so close from first to eighth for the or from certainly from third to eighth for the majority of the season, you could just kind of see it slipping away at one stage that we weren't going to go up automatically. So obviously we got in the playoffs and we ended up playing Bournemouth. We drew nil-nil in the home leg. We lost 3-1 away. We didn't we didn't perform away at all. We were unfortunate in the home leg because we had a man sent off in the first half. So we were struggling. It'd been a long season in terms of work rate. And yeah, we went into the into the away leg and we looked absolutely empty in terms of, you know, giving a performance and we struggled on the night. And they were far the better team and they beat us 3-1. But I, even now, I was speaking about it to someone a couple of weeks ago. Link, I think Bournemouth ended up beating Lincoln about 5-2 in the final at the Millennium, which was a massive pitch. Now, we, I think we'd beaten Lincoln twice that season. And still, it still frustrates me to this day that had we got to the final and played Lincoln, I'd have, honestly, I, I think we'd have beaten them comfortably because Millennium was such a big pitch and we had so much pace in our team compared to Lincoln, who didn't have pace at the back. And I think the big, big pitch would have really suited us, but... Unfortunately, we just we couldn't do the business in the semi-final against Bournemouth. When you moved on to Huddersfield, that one ultimately probably didn't work out for you. Do you regret leaving Bury, or are you glad that you you took that risk and and went no, for it at Huddersfield? The Huddersfield one was a move that, in all honesty, I didn't want to make. Um, I wanted to stay at Bury. Bury didn't offer me a contract. It was as simple as that. I was on good money at the time. There were probably five or six of us on good money and Barry had struggled. He'd been in administration a little bit over that spell, but they'd come out of it. But I remember speaking to Andy Priest about, about staying and he said, look, I'm going to put a certain amount of money aside for you to, to try and keep you. It would have meant me taking a wage cut of about £500 a week, not a month, a week, which is a hell of a lot of money. But I was prepared to do it because I wanted to stay. But in the end... The con- no contract offer ever came. So that was the really disappointing thing about it because I thought I'd done enough to at least people sit down and speak with me at Berry, but they never did. So it was decided that I'd, that I'd move on. And I had Huddersfield, Colchester, Oxford. There was one of the QPR wanted me to go, but QPR wanted to kind of take me on almost a trial period. But I had really good offers from, from Oxford and, and Colchester. Didn't really want to move down south. Uh, so I took the Huddersfield one. And yeah, I took a I took a hell of a way to cut to go to Huddersfield, but the, the the Huddersfield move just didn't work. Pre-season was great because I scored in every goal pre in every game pre-season, but once the season started, I couldn't hit a barn door. As you alluded to earlier in the earlier in the podcast, if you've got to get off the mark early when you're coming on a loan spell, and I, and I didn't do that at Huddersfield, and it affected me confidence. It affected obviously the way the fans saw me, and it affected the way that the the manager obviously picked the team. So. The Huddersfield one didn't work out. Uh, I then had a bad knee injury where I did my cruise ship, so was out for a, a considerable period of time that season as well. And you found yourself back at Gig Lane. What was that like in your spe- second spell under Graham Barrow and then uh, Chris Casper? It was it was a difficult one because you're almost you know the saying never go back. And probably I shouldn't have, probably I shouldn't have gone back. My second spell was nowhere near what it was in my first spell. Uh, I'd lost the yard of pace in terms of my knee injury. I'd lost confidence. I hadn't scored for a while, you know, obviously when I'd been at Huddersfield. So I was coming back to Bury and I was almost trying to prove me prove to myself that I was that I was a good player again. Graham Barrow was great. I had a fantastic relationship with Graham. He'd been assistant in the the, the second year that, that Priestley was manager. So I knew Graham. He was desperate to get to, for me to go back there. I was desperate to go back. But yeah, it didn't really work. I didn't. I didn't see eye to eye with his assistant at the time, Callum O'Hanlon. So I didn't have a. I didn't have a good relationship there. So that made things. That made things more difficult. And the other thing that was a massive, a massive part of of how my second spell went was the emergence of Nuge, David Nugent. So Nuge had been. He was getting substitute appearances during my first spell at Berry. But the year that I left, or the year that I was away from Berry, Nuge had turned from a boy to a man, and. <laughs> That season, he was he was phenomenal. He had everything that 
I liked in a football. If I'm looking at a footballer now, Nuge had everything that I would look for. You know, he had bags of enthusiasm. He had pace. He didn't give the defenders a second. He could score with his right foot, with his left foot, with his head. He was so energetic and busy all over the pitch. So his partnership at the time with Chris Porter, who was, you know, he'd to win your flick-ons and hold it up and Nuge would run off him. It was a really good partnership. So I had no... You know, I had no complaints in terms of the fact that I wasn't playing much. You know, I'd get the odd game when there was an injury or, you know, Graham wanted to change things up and I scored a couple of goals, which was, you know, it was good to be scoring goals again. And just when I felt I was getting back into a rhythm, when Nuge left to go to Preston, I I had a um, an Achilles injury. So I had an operation there. So that was another five months out. That's, you know, set you back. So second, second spell was a difficult one, yeah. I noticed you signed for Colwyn Bay in the Northern Premier towards the end of your career and then got them promoted and ended up as the player manager. What was your brief stint as a manager like? Is it something you'd consider getting back into? Yeah, it was interesting. So, obviously, you see Jürgen Klopp or Guardiola or whoever, you know, being a manager now, the one thing you've got to understand with them is that they have an army of people around them to do all the other jobs. Now, if you're a manager at non-league, you're doing everything. You're doing everything. So you're you're the manager. You're the coach. You're sorting out the the travel. You know you're, you're sorting out the recruitment. You're sorting out the budget. You're doing everything. So as a non-league manager, you've obviously got another job, right? So it's impossible to do your other job because you, particularly if you're a football person, because your whole mind is taken over by how you're going to make your team or your club successful. So really difficult to be a manager in non-league. So anyone who does it, they've got me utmost respect because it isn't easy. But it was something I had to do, something I wanted to do. It was probably the hardest thing for me was letting go letting go of playing because obviously I was a player manager. So there are times where probably you shouldn't have picked yourself. And there were also times where it was easier not to pick yourself and you didn't play yourself and you probably should have done. Really difficult to make decisions, but like I say, it's a twenty-four hour job. I'm in charge of the I'm in charge of the team. My first team coach worked nights at Tesco's. You can't bounce things off him during the day because he's he's in bed. So it's it's you know it's a different world. So yeah, anyone who does it is obviously loves the game because you certainly you, you know it's not something where you're getting paid you know really well paid for doing it. You've got to love the game to do it. But, I, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was tough. There was pressure. You put pressure on yourself because you want to win and you want to be successful and you want to try and climb the ladder as a manager. For me, it was hard because we, other than, I think, Vauxhall Motors, we had the lowest budget in the league. So we were in the Conference North, which was the highest the club had ever been in its history. And we've got Halifax, we've got Chester, we've got Geisley. You know, I mean, Halifax's budget and Chester's budget that year per week was something like £12,000. Our, our weekly budget was £2,800 and that included paying me, paying me assistant, paying the physio and then paying the players. Plus the fact we're in Colwyn Bay, so you've got to get them to Wales because the standard of player probably over in Wales, for a lot of it, you would probably only have two or three two or three of the Welsh lads in. So you're having to get lads to travel over from Manchester, loads of scousers because they're, they're going to travel because you're going to get three or four of them that can travel in the same car. So all these little things that you've you know, you wouldn't think about, you've got to take all of those things into consideration. So yeah, it was a tough job. It was a tough job. It wasn't, it wasn't easy when I eventually left there because, you know, you get in the sack. But the one thing I'd say about football management is you've, you've not been a proper football manager until you get the sack. So it wasn't there. It wasn't an easy job, but it was, it was one that certainly, I, you know, I don't regret taking it I learned loads from it I learned loads about myself and I learned loads about the game so yeah it was it, it was a good thing to do for about 16 months I think I did it yeah I suppose well you touched on it there it's a completely different job description to your likes of your even a league two manager you, you mentioned stuff like players traveling in one car a league two football manager and upwards they, w- they wouldn't even have to worry about something like that would they it's, it's all done for them so no everything's Everything's taken care of, yeah. Are you still involved with Liverpool? Yeah, so I work at Liverpool now. So I've been full-time at Liverpool for about coming up to seven years. So I was part-time there for three years whilst I was also working at uh, AFC Fylde as yeah. one of the first team members of staff there with, with Dave Challoner and Colin Woodthorpe. So did that for a year. 
so at Liverpool, I was a full-time coach. So I did, I was full-time coach for three years. And then obviously I had me, me, uh, heart surgery. So I came out of, I came out of full-time coaching, uh, from a, a medical point of view, you know, with having the defib in, it probably wasn't the most sensible thing to, to continue to do. So for the last four years, I've worked in, in the recruitment there. So. It's great, you know. It keeps me involved in in football full time. Keeps me involved working with people who are unbelievably knowledgeable about the game, you know. And I get to I get to look at really good footballers from the ages of twelve to to eighteen every day. So so yeah, hopefully that's something that will continue. Yeah. Moving on to Berry FC present day how do you think the lads are doing this season have you managed to get down to many games yourself to watch yeah so I've been to most games to be honest I think I've only missed I mean I didn't go to the Vars game on Saturday uh I was away for the first game of the season but I think other than that I think I've done near enough everyone obviously the start I think the start the team possibly got through on on adrenaline and a little bit of momentum you know the, the whole build-up of, of Berry FC being back they then found it difficult but I do think that since Dave's come in, I think you're now going from a hope to an expectation. So I used the Kendall game as a bit of an example. So I think three months ago, the supporters would have gone to Kendall hoping to win. I think last week, the supporters went to Kendall expecting to win because of of, of how... I don't want to say he's changed it. He's turned it around because he, he hasn't turned it around. The team was second and third or, you know, for the, for the majority of the season under the previous manager. I just think that Dave's come in. He's got a different style. He's brought a lot of different players, obviously. I just think the team looked more set up to win games in terms of not conceding as many goals. Um, you're always going to get mistakes playing in the Northwest Counties. That's why a lot of the players are playing in the Northwest Counties. There is going to be an inconsistency. But I think if you look at particularly the midfield players, I think he's really strengthened the midfield players with the likes of Scarisbrick and Doyle. Uh, the lad who played, was it Sam Burns who played at um, yeah. Kendall, put in a really impressive first game. Obviously, I didn't go to Wickham to see him in the second one, but the new signings that have come in and, and the way the manager works, I think that you know there's a, a, a real, genuine expectation of promotion. What's your relationship with the new manager? Did you know him before he was appointed or? Have you sat down with him since? Uh, I've been to I've been to two training sessions, Armin. So I went uh, I went to watch them train before the Kendall game, which I thought would be interesting to just to see how Dave sets up. And I, I went to watch them before the FA Vars game. So I've seen two training sessions. They're the first times I've met Dave. He's not someone I know, but he's someone I know of because kind of football in Liverpool, everybody knows each other. It's yeah. just the way it is. I've been really impressed with you know how he's come across in his interviews and and how he talks and obviously impressed with the way that the team are playing. I know his assistant Tim. Tim worked at Liverpool's academy uh, for a short period and I was there. Very good coach, very knowledgeable, tactically very astute. So he knows the, he knows the game inside out and he's he's a good coach. But as well as as well as those two, I think one person who's slightly been overlooked at the minute is is Sam Ashton, who's come in as a goalkeeping coach. So again, I don't know Sam, but I've played against him that many times when I was at Colwyn Bay and when I was at Warrington and he was at FC United. He's the type of member of staff that every dressing room needs. You know, he's bubbly, uh, he's energetic, he gets involved in in the goings on with the lads in terms of you know being a bit of a buffer between the manager, uh, the manager and the players. So I think as a management team, I think they've come across really well in the you know in the last in the last couple of months. And like, given your relationship, that it seems to be quite positive with the manager. You think, especially with your experience with Liverpool, it's something that you could t- like look to take a lead on on the footballing side of the club if the opportunity came. I'd like, I'd obviously, I'd like to do something more on the football on the football side. I don't want to interfere with anything he does. I don't want him to think that I'm a, I'm a hindrance in any way. I don't think he ever would, to be fair, because I, I you know. I, I think I know how to how to act and and how much interference, if you put it, that, that managers would tolerate. So you know, I'm not looking to do that. I'm, anything he needs or anything the players need in, in terms of support, that you know, that's something that I, I want to help with. You know, to, obviously, I think I've built up a good a good knowledge of, of what dressing rooms are like, of what managers might need, of what players might need. You know, just little things like that. For example, you know, Thursday night, often the team are training at a, a, a pitch that's 
that's a little bit too small to train on that they can't do team shape. So if I can help with stuff like that, where we can make sure that they have a, an 11 aside pitch to train on, little things that maybe other members of the football board wouldn't wouldn't so much know because they, they've not been involved in the game or, or, or whatever it is. And that's no disrespect to them. Just little things like that where I can help the manager, I think it'd be, you know, obviously be useful to. And have you had the chance since you've been nominated onto the board to sit down with the guys, like the board members or people on the footballing side to just sit down and see how you can contribute more towards the footballing side? Not at the minute, no. So I've had a telephone conversation with Marcel, which was which was a good conversation, to be honest. It was it was positive in terms of, you know, what he sees me doing and what I see I see me doing. You know, I don't want to have made it quite clear. I don't want to be this token gesture former player who's been voted on just as a face. I don't want to do that. I want I want to make it try and make a difference to, to how the club is run and you know I want to communicate with the supporters. I think that's one of my strengths in terms of speaking to supporters. So in terms of board meetings, we've had one board meeting as a group. And I think the first football board meeting is in a couple of weeks. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, the other people that are on the football board because they haven't had the opportunity to, to meet them yet. Someone that's said which we've had a few that are very critical that stayed here, why Berry? What made you like come back to Berry and want to be involved with the new setup? Well, I've lived here for the last 19 years. So we, when I, when I re-signed for Berry, I moved here. So nearly 20 years now I've lived in the town. I understand what the football club means, not just to the supporters, but means to the actual town. Uh, I think it's absolutely vital that, that, that the football club, uh, sorry, that the town has a football club for, an, for a number of reasons. It kind of, it gives a lot of people an identity, I think. You know, I, I think the big thing that people have to understand for footballers as well is that before we were players, we were we were supporters. That's why we we loved the game. You know, I followed my team and 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 still do as much as I can all over the country. So for a football team to be taken away, I think is a really tough thing for the town and the supporters. So for me, the fact that I've lived here for so long, you know, my wife's family are, are all from Berry. You know, my wife was a supporter. My father-in-law was a massive supporter. He didn't miss a game for, for 45 years. You know, my brother-in-law has been going to Berry since he was knee high. So it's just a, a it's a club that's close to my heart. Obviously, I, you know, I had a, a really good first spell here and this was the club other than Liverpool that, that you know, kind of got in got inside me, if you like. Well, like given the fact that you're Mrs. Stider, all Berry fans, what was the reaction like in 2019 when you found out that we'd be removed from the EFL? It was a tough one. It was a tough one because this is, you know, this is the club that kind of, obviously I look back and and the things that Liverpool did, even though I only played, you know, made four appearances, that, that that's a lifetime ago and is a dream for, you know, any Liverpool supporter to do. So, you know, that's the club that will always have me heart. You can't, I've always said, you can change many things in your life, but you can't change your football club. You know, I, I'm adamant on that. These people that support Man United one season and then Chelsea win the league, and two years later supporting them—it's absolute madness. They shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed to be football supporters. But yeah, it was a really tough time. Berry meant a lot to me. We were actually on holiday when it was all going through, and I was I was speaking to people, obviously back in England, and 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 trying to find out what was happening. You know, I spoke to to the likes of Gordon Sawfly, who was trying to get as much information out of Gordon as I could, and and people that I knew in and around the club. I remember coming back from holiday and we, we landed and we went straight from the airport. We went to Gig Lane because we knew that there was something going on at Gig Lane. So we, you know, I just went and spoke to supporters there. And yeah, it was tough. I remember I remember a lady coming over to me, thanking me, for, you know, for playing for the club. And, you know, she was crying and, and there was a, another supporter who I knew, you know, he, he was crying on my shoulder. So yeah, it was a tough one. It, it, I won't lie to you. Um you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't have happened uh, in terms of the EFL. Should have done more for the football club. The two the two people that were in charge, you know, when it all went wrong, Day and Dale, it was you know what what we did to the club was you know was a disgrace. But they obviously weren't you know they've never been football people. I don't think they ever understood what you know what a football team meant to to a group of supporters. You know, for me, it's it's kind of a way of life. Supporting your football club is a way of life, and you know they they. They didn't just take it away, they chose to take it away from supporters. So, yeah, I won't say too much more about them too. Was that a big driver in your decision to get back involved with the club this time around to ensure nothing like that would ever happen again? Yeah, I just think the more people you've got around clubs like Berry that are that are driven by a genuine love for that football club, the better. You know, the, the, like I say, the, the, 
the volunteer people that are, you know, get around the, the games now, whatever role that they do, whether it's fixing up the stadium and and the other roles, turnstiles, people like that. Uh, you know, I genuinely do feel that they're people that, you know, they, they've truly got Barry at heart. So the more people like that you've got around the club, the better. And then like looking at more positive, I think it was 2021 when the guys managed to secure gig lane for the club. What was your reaction to that? Was that when you were looking to join the society? Is that when you signed up to the Berry FC membership? Yeah, I think that was, you know, that's obviously massive. You know, gig lane synonymous with with Berry Football Club. You know, I was I was speaking to someone at Liverpool at work the other day. They came to Berry in the 1970s. He could remember everything from that day in terms of where he was in the town centre. What the pitch, he was adamant that the pitch was outstanding. I was adamant that there's no chance in the 70s that Gig Lane was, that the pitch was looking great because it certainly wasn't in 2001 when I joined. But, you know, it's little things like that. So I think the stadium, I think there's a real pride gone into the stadium from the fellows that who've, who've looked after the stadium. I think that's a, that's a massive thing for me. You know, that, that to, the, to, to a lot of them, that's home. That's you know that's home and the pride that they've they've wanted to restore, make sure that they restore the stadium and and people are coming back there and actually saying wow you know look at this place it's it's back to where it was it looks great I think there's a genuine pride from all of the people who've done that and I don't think they can be thanked enough by by all the supporters. Yeah, how much of a plus is it to have a professional standard ground effectively and one that brings so much history and memories attached to it? Well, it's massive for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons it helps so much is that if I was a non-league player and no disrespect to other clubs and I had a choice, you know, two managers came in for me and one was, for example, you know, Padium or Colne or whoever it is and the other was Berry. Well, there's only one place I'm going to go because I've got a chance to play at a, a stadium like Gig Lane every week. I've got a chance to play in front of three and a half thousand fans every week. So stuff like that is absolutely massive because... In non-league, a lot of the players will never get out of non-league. They'll never, you know, go and experience of, of, you know, signing for Oxford or signing for whoever it may be and playing at league grounds every week. But if you're a Berry player, you're playing at a league ground every week. You know, the stadium, everyone in the Northwest knows the stadium. You know how special it is to Berry and you know what a, you know, a, a good stadium it is. So it helps from a recruitment point of view as well at actually signing players. So that's one thing. But yeah, I just think that, you know, the, the history that the, the, the football club has and the history that the ground has, you know, some of the some of the teams that have come and played here in, like I say, in the 70s, you know, you're getting Liverpool and Manchester United and all teams like that in the FA Cup, then why would you not want to make sure that, you you know, you're restoring a stadium like Giggling? Yeah, absolutely. Do you, how important do you think it is for us to start moving up the leagues and, you know, getting back towards maybe the National League system and... Do you think the manager we've got now, do you think he's the man to take us forward? Only time will tell, obviously, but I certainly think he, from speaking to him and from seeing him work, he's a winner. I know that. I know he's he's not here. He's not coming here for an easy ride. He's coming here because he wants Barry to progress. He's not thinking, well, I might do a season at Barry and, you know, great, I'll enjoy it. He, he, he wants to be here for the, for the long term. I think that's why he's signing players he's signed. He's not signing, for me, he's not signing those players to get Barry out of the Northwest Counties. He's signing those players to get Barry out of the Northern Premier League. You know, I think that yeah. the, the players he's got, I think they can go up two levels. You know, I spoke to him about a couple of the players. He's, you know, he speaks very highly about about Scarisbrick, who obviously has come in and scored, you know, a number of goals from midfield. And he speaks particularly highly about about the captain at the back, both on and off the pitch. He thinks he's a leader, and I think you can see that on the pitch. So, I, like I say, I don't, I don't think the manager's here for for an easy ride. I think he's going to push himself and he's going to push the players for, for certain. Yeah, John. So obviously, there's a bit of a divide between fans at the minute in your opinion to to bridge that that divide to unify everybody and and where do you see yourself fitting into that as as a board member now well i think one of the things for me at the minute is you know i'm i'm trying to be positive about the whole situation and i think that the club's got a lot to be positive about like you've mentioned back at gig lane back playing football you know competitive football getting big gates where you know we know that the club can then kick on from there the way I'm looking at it is I'm trying to separate things at the minute. I'm trying to separate into two sections, so on the pitch and off the pitch. So on the pitch, I think the club's making real progress. Off the pitch, I think the club's making 
I do think the club's making progress. I think there's been a little bit of stability amongst the supporters since the new board came in. I don't think it's going to be plain sailing. I don't think I do think there are going to be bumps in the road in terms of unity, in terms of which model you know of the of the of a fan-owned club that the 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 board goes down. I don't think it's going to be like I say. I don't think it's going to be easy, and it, it may be a long process. But I think people have got to try and trust that process at the minute. I know it's not easy to say, yeah, well, things are going well on the pitch, so you can kind of you can kind of blank that out. I don't think it's I don't think it's it's like that for some people. It's been tough for them to come over to this Berry FC because they don't see it as as the real Berry FC, if you like. I think with some fans, I don't think you you're going to get a lot of fans back, and I and I respect that because, like I said before, I, you can change many things in life, but I don't think you can change your football team. So I, I genuinely do respect that some fans feel that they they can't support the team because they don't see it as as Berry FC pre two thousand and nineteen. But at the same time, I do think there are a lot of good people on. I don't want to say both sides because then it sounds like that you know the club hasn't come together. But in terms of the people who who were involved at AFC, I think there's a lot of good people there. But I do think there's a lot of good people in what I would class as the old school Berry side. And it's about it's about joining that together. That's why I'm I, I was really disappointed that the club went out the vase last week because I think that would have been a real it had the club gone on a run. You know, and it brings fans together because you're you're having away days. There's an excitement building up. People are seeing more of each other because they're travelling on trains and travelling on buses, wherever it may be. And I think if the club had had a genuine run, you know, and had gone four or five rounds into the competition, I really do think we'd have seen a lot of progress in terms of unifying, unifying, you know, certain fan bases. But it's going to be a work in progress. You know, no one's getting away from that. No one's trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes it's going to be a work in progress and, and it, it may be a long uh, a long process but you know hopefully the you know the board will communicate more than than it did in in the early stages and and, and we can all, we can all come together so since the new board's been elected have things been progressing well uh, should fans expect any form of update in the next few weeks as to where things are going to be heading on that score, I'm not sure. Like I say, I've had a couple of good conversations with Marcel about the football side of it. I'm not on the stadium board. So in terms of, you know, the, the four people from the board who, who are on the stadium board, I'm not one of them that's discussing things with the benefactors. I'll be quite honest. I don't think that if I was on that board, I don't think I would be having much input into the the legal jargon and the legal terms that are, that are used in those meetings. I would uh, I would say that that's not really my forte. You know, I, I'm pretty certain that they're complicated meetings. I know what I'd like to see, you know, in, in terms of the model of the club, but, you know, it might be different from other board members. But at the same time, you know, decisions will have to be made. And, and you know, I hope that I hope that fans are spoken to in terms of, of those decisions, because like I say, the members are the ones that I feel have, you know, have, have got to be kept happy. How do you see the club progressing, if you don't mind divulging? How do you see the structure best working for the club going forward? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think obviously the the vote was to go with the fifty one forty nine model, you know, which I think you know a lot of people want because that's what they voted for. I think the hundred percent fan owned model that is still in place at the minute. I think long term, I don't know whether short term that could be for the best in terms of funding from FA and uh, from the FA and, and things like that but in terms of long term do you reach a ceiling like like the likes of FC United have done like I say earlier in my career I played against them a lot and you know you think that they're going to kick on but they reach a ceiling because of their fan base and the fact that the, there's no other investors coming in because it's 100% fan owned so so I, you know me personally I'd love to see the the, the 5149 model come in but you know only only time will tell whether whether that will that will happen Well, moving on to this Saturday, we've got Ramsworth Team United in the Macron Cup. What are your thoughts on that? Given that we're out of the bars now, would you, if it was you personally, would you like to see us go full strength or still rotate and just keep the league now as our only priority? I think obviously the league becomes priority. That's pretty obvious. I know that the manager wanted to have a good go at the bars, so I know he'll be really disappointed at that. Obviously, I had history. He had history in that from winning it, so yeah. I know he really fancied it. 
So we, you know, we'll have been disappointed on, on on Saturday after the game. I think this will be an interesting game, Ramsbottom, because obviously it's 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 local rivals. I can't say there's a there's a big rival rivalry between Berry and Ramsbottom because, you know, in years gone by, it's always been Berry and Bolton and Berry and Rochdale, and all of a sudden Ramsbottom are now on the scene in terms of you know the the, the level that the club are playing at at the minute. I would imagine that the manager will want to get the likes of Benito Lowe and, and Darius Palmer full games or as close to full games as he can after their injuries just to get them some sharpness. And then the lads that have been on the bench, you know, the likes of, of Anton and, and Chris Rowney, you know, people yeah. like that, I, I would imagine are going to play who haven't had much football lately. But the squad's not massive, is it? The squad isn't massive. So, you know, I don't think there'll be wholesale changes simply because the, the squad doesn't allow it to be. But I will say that as I live in Ramsbottom, I, I'm not sure that the I'm not sure that this game will will actually uh, will actually go ahead with the weather that we we've had over the last uh, three or four days in the forecast for Friday and Saturday. So we'll see. But I wouldn't want it to be too too big a breaking games because I do think you can lose a little bit of rhythm. Um, I know I know it can be hectic in terms of playing Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday. I understand that, but particularly with a small squad, but I wouldn't like to have too big a break because uh, particularly when you're doing well and you're top of the league, I don't think you want to break that rhythm too much. I think that was yeah, my absolutely. thought process too. After Tuesday night's game being called off, I thought, I, I, I have thought to myself, maybe it's better to play some of the first teamers just to give them that run out. It's all well and good playing the fringe players, but we're then going into a league game effectively two weeks without playing. Yeah. So I'd like, I'd like to see some of the, the likes of Scarris Brick still in the side but then like you say play the likes of Rowney give minutes to Palmer and go from there really I think especially being out the Vars why not have a bit of a run in, in the cup albeit it's not as a fashionable cup as it being the Macron Cup but at the end of the day it's, it's, it's still another cup competition to potentially go and win isn't it? Yeah I think it, you know I think he'll want to win because I think he wants to instill that you know the winning mentality through throughout the club and and everything that the, the team are doing at the minute. And like you say, the the games after that, the, you know, they're going to come quite thick and fast, and and they're not going to be easy games. You know, you, you you're going to be going to pitches that that aren't great. I think the next game is with it being Skemmersdale. I think is at Bersco, so I, t- I think it's a three G pitch off from the top of my head. Yeah, so you right. know that that again is something that's very different. You know the grounds, uh, the ground at, uh, at Bursco is pretty open as well. So you know you don't know what the weather's going to be like. So you know in terms of playing at the style you want to play. So yeah, I think I think the next few games will be tough. So you know I think I think I do I don't think he'll play a, th- a full hit in terms of his team on Saturday because you know we won't want more injuries with a small squad. But you know I still think he'll be looking to win the game. Be interesting to see. We like to finish the show off with our. Shakers shout out. So this week we thought we'd give it to the under 23s who have won 10 out of 10 games. So not only do they get a shout out, but would you like to see some of them possibly feature on Saturday? Yeah, it'd certainly be interesting. I think that particularly in non-league, you've got to produce your own players. You know, you can't you can't go out and sign, you know, you're not going to pay transfer fees. You can't go out and sign everyone you want because they'll have other offers maybe higher up the non-league ladder. So there's going to be times where you've got to produce your own players in non-league. So it would be good to see, you know, the better ones of that. I'm hoping to go down and watch them train in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to, to see how, how they train. And obviously the, the two guys that stood in for a while uh, as interim managers did a very good job, but they came in and stood in for the first team and they've now won 10 out of 10 in the 23s. So, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously very capable as a couple of managers as well. Well, we'll look forward to it and... Thanks for joining us. No problem at um, all, mate. Yeah, thanks we'll for your time, John. Back on later on in the season. Yeah, look forward to it. Hopefully, that will be uh, when the club's got promotion. 